0: Um, that's sort of a bit of a head start. I'm giving you about 10 minutes to try and find it. The problem with the minor prophets are they're right in the middle of the Bible, so you can find that bit easy. But then there's a whole load of these very little books in the middle that you're trying to flick your way through to uh, find it. So Amos is about the third minor prophet. So if you find Psalms, um, and then you might come across Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, you'll be getting somewhere near to Amos um, by the time you get to that. So you've got a few moments just to uh, uh, think about that. The minor prophets are often overlooked by us um, for a number of reasons. Maybe one, because they're hard to find. Do you know what I mean? You sort of think, I don't, you know, I can't find Amos very easily, so I won't read it. Um, but, but also probably because the message contained with some, within some of these, uh, these books is a bit tricky to grasp. It's not that it's complicated, it's just that what it tells us about God doesn't always fit in with, well, it doesn't always make us feel comfortable. You ever, you've ever been in that situation where you start reading about God and you think, oh, I don't know if I quite like what I'm reading. It, it doesn't fit in with my preconceived ideas of what God is like, or certainly the aspects of God that I'd like to contemplate on. I don't think there are so many sort of fridge magnet verses um, uh, out of the Minor Prophets, and uh, Amos is probably no exception to that. Um, it's nine chapters, so it's a little bit longer than many of the Minor Prophets, and for uh, eight and a half chapters, um, Amos is really talking about judgment, um, uh, 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 he's challenging Israel on their sin, talking about coming judgment, and it's only, the, it's only the second half of the ninth chapter that you'll probably find is underlined in your Bible. All, all of the rest of it probably is sort of a bit of a wasteland of, uh, oh this is, this is quite tricky, I don't quite know um, what to do with it. And uh, But we feel that to do these minor prophets over the next six, seven weeks, which is what we're going to be doing in the summer, is really important because our aim as a church isn't to create God in an image or a likeness that we like. Our aim is to see God for who he is and then respond and line our lives up with it. Don't you agree? Wasn't that what we just sang in that last chorus? Show me who you are. Show me who you are. Even the bits that make me shift a little bit around on my seat. And, and there might be a little bit of shifting on, on your seats this morning. There was certainly an awful lot of shifting on my seat as I was preparing through the week. I, I didn't feel completely at ease would be the word I think I would use to uh, describe um, what is going on. But before we get into Amos, I just want to introduce... Um, really the minor prophet series, why we're doing it and what it's about. A prophet in the um, Old Testament context was a mouthpiece or a messenger and God used them to communicate his word to his people. Throughout Israel's history, we see prophets in various different situations. Abraham was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. David was a king, but he had Nathan, who was a prophet and who helped. Then you got Elijah and Elisha. So right the way through the Old Testament, we find these prophets, these mouthpieces um, for God. Prophets weren't usually saying anything new. They were reminding Israel and Judah of what God had already said in the Mosaic Covenant. So God God revealed himself through Moses, through the Ten Commandments, through the the other writings around it. And the prophets were always drawing Israel and Judah back to what God had said to start with. Because within the Mosaic Covenant, you have got blessings and promises when Israel obeys. But you've also got curses and judgment when Israel don't obey. And so the minor prophets often are saying, look, 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 Israel, you're, you're heading this way. No, no, come back. To the purposes of God. Come back into the blessing of God because if you don't, there will be judgment. There will be problems for you. And so the prophets were often doing that. Where we're going to be looking at with the minor prophets is just before Israel and Judah go into exile. So they've had a time of incredible blessing and favour. King David in particular led the nation brilliantly. Solomon led the nation maybe not quite so well, but it was still a time of great prosperity. And then for probably about 140 years after that, um, Israel was in the decline. One king after another, not really following God's ways and Judah wasn't doing much better. By that point, they'd separated into two nations, uh, just after Solomon's reign. Ten, um, Israel, the northern kingdom, and two... Um, oh, look at that. We've got a document there that you can have a look at. A, a timeline where you can see. Um, and then Judah, the southern kingdom, um, that, that did a little bit better, to be quite honest. So you can see here on the timeline that Amos... Um, is one of the earliest prophets uh, that we're going to be looking at. And then over time, we're going to be looking at um, uh, Hosea, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, uh, Obadiah and Haggai. And as you can see, there's a slight problem with the PowerPoint as the bottom letter of the number of the prophets has dropped to the next line. But I'll let you uh, bring that back to where it should be. And so each week as we go through, we will sort of highlight on the timeline um, where we're going. So by the time we hit Amos right now, we are, we are Amos is speaking into um, Israel, the Northern Kingdom, and he's warning them that if they do not change their ways, judgment and exile um, will swiftly uh, follow. Brilliant. So what is it we're going to get? What is it we're going to get from the prophets when we look at it? Well, I think we're going to get two things. One is, and I've already sort of touched on this, we're going to see something of who God is. We're going to see something of who God is in his holiness, in his awesomeness, in his power, in his shaping of nations. I mean, you'll you'll notice that when we read through Amos a little bit later, what you'll find is God is talking about nations here. And I think it's not a bad thing for us, is it, as a church, as a people, for us to remember that the God that we worship is the one that shapes nations. He's on the throne. Even with the whole EU changes, you know, with Brexit with changes in the conservative leadership, all of those things that are going on over the course of this week and over the coming months, we worship the God who is sat enthroned in heaven and he shapes the nations. So when we pray into those things, and I want to encourage us to be a prayerful church in this way, we, 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 we pray into the one who is sat on the throne, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He does what he chooses. And I, I want to encourage you with that because that is an anchor for our prayers. Even if things seem to be going wrong, he's still sat on his throne. God's not panicking, he's not worried, he's not thinking, oh I didn't see that one happen. He he knows what is going on and uh, it's good for us to remember that in what we're doing. So I think we're going to see something of who God is, but we also see beautiful shadows of the gospel as well. And we're going to see that at the end of Amos too um, when we're looking um, at that. So that's a little bit of a, a focus on the series What about Amos in particular? Like I say, I don't think this is going to jump straight to the top of your reading list. One commentator said if there was one word to describe the book of Amos, it would be no. No. Not a very long word. Not if we're totally honest. Is it a word that we like to hear? Any of you like to be told no? Um, I I, I don't. You know, there's instances and situations where I'm thinking carefully, I'm working it out. How am I going to ask for something, and I've got it all planned out, I go and ask and someone says no, and, and you get that sort of sinking feeling on the inside, or I've got four boys, they don't like to be told no, you know, Dad, can we polish off all the, you know, Chloe's away this weekend, I mean, it's to be honest, it's a bit chaotic, please, please pray for me that we are all still alive by the time we get, when she gets back this evening, but, but, But boys don't like to say no. Dad, can we eat all the ice cream in the freezer? It doesn't need a lot of discussion. No, you can't. Um, Kids don't like to hear the word no. We probably don't like to read bits of the Bible where God says no. And particularly, you you know, we love reading bits of the Bible where we read about God being a God of love. And you may even in your mind right now be thinking, well, if God's a God of love, he would never say no to me, would he? of course he would yeah yeah there are times when he'll say no to you like I would say no to my boys because I love them but it's so important that we see these things so nine chapters speaking into the earliest part of Israel and Judah's history let's just turn to Amos 1 verses 1 and 2 to put your minds at rest I'm not going to be reading all nine chapters Um, just in case any of you are worried, thinking about your Sunday lunch. We're just going to pick out a few passages on the way through. What I want to do is just give you a brief overview of Amos and then there's just two takeaway moments, two takeaway points for us to think about and apply um, and then I'll leave it with Paul to work out where he wants to go at the end. God bless you, Paul. I'm going to go to Bexhill. So, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, Amos wasn't a professional prophet, there were professional prophets in the day, Amos wasn't, he was a farmer. God spoke to him, God arrested him. He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, in Decoah, and he was speaking about things that he was seeing in the northern kingdom, Israel, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Ju- Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake, all set in history, and the Lord. And he said, "The Lord roars from Zion; utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers." This is a time of uh, great prosperity for Israel. Israel's enemies are dis- distracted with internal problems, so they're not really focused on Israel. So they are doing very, very well financially. The problem is this is leading to them oppressing the poor. So one of the major themes we're going to see through this book is the fact actually that the rich within Israel are oppressing the poor and doing unjust things so that they remain rich. I don't think they're worried about the poor staying poor, but they are worried about them staying rich. And so they are um, oppressing... Uh, the poor. They're also combining the worship of God with idols. So they still worship God, but they've added in a few of their own twists and turns um, as well uh, into it. But because of their great prosperity, they are assuming that God is blessing them. So they're getting a number of things wrong, worshipping other gods, oppressing um, the poor, getting involved in some other stuff as well that they shouldn't do. But because financially they're all right, they're assuming that God is blessing them. And we find here in uh, verse 2, this um, opening thing of, of God, as it were, coming in on the scene. And he says, the Lord roars from Zion. And in a, in a way, this is repeated time and time again through the book, this picture of God like a roaring lion. A roaring lion just before he devours his prey. This, this lion roaring out. And I say, change your ways, change your direction, change what you're doing, because if you don't, you will be devoured. You will be devoured. And so there's this picture of this um, roaring lion. So Amos brought a really unpopular message. Israel didn't want to hear this at all. It was a very unpopular message. It was so unpopular to the point by the end of the book, and I'm. Um, You can read this at your leisure. At the end of the book, the top priest in Israel comes to Amos and tells him to stop prophesying and go back to Judah. And and Amos was pretty full on in his response. Apologies if this offends anyone, but this is what gets prophesied over him to the priest. His His response is to prophesy that the priest's children will be killed, his wife will become a prostitute, and that he'd be taken back into he'd be taken into captivity. Now, the, part of the reason I'm I'm sharing these things is um, I I want to challenge us out of a safe, secure, bland mentality of how we view God, because the God that we worship is the same one here. Yeah, and we're going to find some themes coming through through this. Amos doesn't hold back. I don't think we'd invite him to be one of our visiting speakers. (laughs) Amos is split into three sections. The first one is God's judgment of the surrounding nations. I think there might be a a map to go up. Uh, It's a little bit small, but the sort of uh, reddy, sort of browny color in the middle is Judah block of blue above is the kingdom of Israel and around it are all the nations of Israel and the first couple of chapters basically is God through Amos declaring judgment on those surrounding nations and I can I can hear Israel cheering that's great the baddies are getting what they deserve but then it gets a little bit closer to home and Amos starts to declare judgment on Judah and then last he starts to declare Judgment on Israel themselves. Chapters 3 through to 6 then are basically Amos um, expanding that judgment on Israel. It says in Amos chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver... And the needy for a pair of sandals. Can you imagine putting someone into slavery for a pair of shoes? That's that's what Israel were doing. Those who trample on the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, they turn aside the way of the afflicted. So they are oppressing the poor. God hates that. A man and his father go into the same girl. So sexual sin. They were falling into that as well. So that my holy name is profound, profaned. They lay themselves down besides every altar on garments taken in pledge. They are worshipping other gods along with Yahweh, the true God. And in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Israel, although had this outward veneer of worship to God, internally were a real mess and had gone a million miles. Away from God. And there is a lion's roar. There is a shout from God saying, No, stop this idol worship. No, stop this abuse of power. It's a shaking them out of apathy. What's at stake is the survival of a nation. In nine brief chapters, Amos saw the end of Israel and he had to declare it. He says, Look, if you do not Turn from your evil ways, the judgment of God will fall upon you, and you will be taken into exile. The same one who brought down the walls of Jericho on Israel's behalf was going to bring Israel down because of their sin. The same judgment that fell on Israel's enemies was falling on their own heads. If they did not turn back to God, it was a lion's roar. Turn back to me, Israel. Come back to me. And then verses 7 through to 9 is, in a sense, visions of what is to come for Israel. It's, it's again, in a sense, a number of oracles, a number of prophecies, prophecies that are not good. But it finishes. It finishes in the last three verses with this incredible, overflowing, dripping grace and blessing from God for those who repent, for those who turn back to God. So what is it that Amos says to us? Just two simple things. And I feel even as I'm saying it, if I'm totally honest, the danger of me being here... I feel the danger of me being here is it's like I'm here, God's next to me, do you know what I mean and we're declaring these things. Whereas actually I should be here, I am here, not I should be, I am here. And it's, it's this is a message for us all. This is something for all of us just to 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 grasp, to mull on, to take incredibly seriously. Holy, there is no one like you. There is no one that compares to you, Lord God. And in part of it is we see his holiness in, in these two particular areas. The first thing, just to highlight to you, God judges sin. He does. God judged sin in the Old Testament and God judges sin in the New Testament. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 8. I saw the Lord standing before the altar and he said. So there's a picture of God at the temple in Jerusalem, standing by the altar, and he says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon a sinful kingdom. So that's how he viewed Israel. They were a sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. It's It's a... it's a terrifying judgment. It's a terrifying declaration if you are in Israel. And the vast majority of this book reveals that God hates sin. And that although he is incredibly merciful and patient, he will judge it. Israel have been walking this way for, 100, for 130 years. For 130 years, they had been walking in rebellion to God. It would be another 45 years before the Assyrians take them into captivity. Repent. Change your way. Turn the direction of your lives. Have mercy on the poor. Stop sexual sin. Stop bowing down to other idols. I do not want to judge you, but I will if you do not change your sinful behavior. That, that is the message. That is the message of Amos. God hates sin because it's rebellion against him because of its destructive impact on ourselves as people and its destructive impact on others and the god that we worship the god i love to worship him but he still judges sin he he isn't a different god he hasn't had anger management classes and so he, he, he acts differently now. The one we see revealed in the Old Testament. We, we, we see new, new aspects. Some come with bright, brighter colours and clarity, but, but the same one. Around the throne we find in Isaiah and in Revelation, what is it that the angels, what is it that the elders are singing? Holy, holy, holy. they're not actually singing love, 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 although he is a God of love. They're singing holy, holy, holy. And when they, when they come, what is it? They cast their crowns before him because there's something at the otherness of God that we pick up in Amos that makes our frail humanity shake a little bit and go, oh, this doesn't feel incredibly comfortable to me. Paul, can you shut your eyes? Put your hands out. You all see that? Yeah? <laughs> Just what do you, what do you feel? What, what, what do you sense? Tell me something about what you've got in your hands. <laughs> I thought you meant what was on my mouth. It's a microphone. Um, <laughs> Crinkly, it feels smooth, slippery. Um, feels like I'm going to go and buy myself an ice cream in about five minutes. <laughs> if that's what it is, I don't know if it is that. It, 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 yeah, it feels, yeah. It Thank you, Paul. Tamara, just just want you to describe what you see there. Um, the Queen um, is orange and white um, and it's got a bit of see-through bits as well. Oh, some lady on the back. Um, I should know who that is, shouldn't I? That's too close. My eyes are too old. Oh, who's she? Is is that Florence Nightingale? (laughs) I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. So no, I don't think that is Florence. But it does say Bank of England, and it says £10. Brilliant. One £10 note. It feels smooth, it feels plasticky, it's, 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 I can go spend it on an ice cream. Picture of the Queen, it's brown, it's purple or browny white colour. It's got Florence Nightingale, no it hasn't, it's got someone else on the back. It's got £10 written on it, um, all different descriptions, but all describing a £10 note. I may look there and go, I don't like the picture of that lady on the back. It should be a picture of me. Don't you agree? A picture of me on the back would be a much better thing if I take the picture off the back of the £10 note, I can't use it. I can't spend it. I can say, well, the Queen, I'd like a younger picture of the Queen on the front doesn't really suit me. I'm a younger person. I'd like a younger picture of the Queen on the front. You you may think it's too small. I lose it. I want a bigger £10 note. No, all of these attributes make up this £10 note. And if you start taking any of them away, it no longer becomes a £10 note. You cannot use it for what it was designed for. It isn't a £10 note. And there is such a danger for us that with God we can look at certain aspects and attributes of God... And we say that is what God is like. And we ignore the ones that are slightly less palatable or more difficult to understand or get our minds around. But in the end, what you end up doing is not describing God, but an idol made in your own image. Our part, as followers of Jesus Christ, is to see who God is. To do the best we can to understand him in his fullness and to worship, glorify, and follow him with all of our hearts. That is what we need to do. The reality in Israel was a whole load of people would have completely ignored Amos' message, wouldn't they? They'd have said, I don't agree with you, I think you're talking rubbish. I don't think that priest who had that sort of judgment stuff pronounced over him would have been front of the queue to follow Amos. But the reality is, 45 years later, whether you believed what Amos said or not, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity. Those who believed what Amos said, those who didn't, everyone went into captivity. In 45 years' time, for every single one of us, whether you believe that God judges sin or not, whether you believe God is holy or not, whether you believe he is a God of love or not, not all of us, but some of us will be standing before him, And for the rest of us, we will be following on soon behind. The most important thing we can do is not to create an image of God that fits with our preconceived ideas, but to find out who He is and line our lives up to follow with all of our hearts. You may think it's just Old Testament. I, I did a, uh, probably as a pastor I shouldn't do this, I did a Google search on, um, on New Testament verses on the judgment of God. Um, easier than looking in a concordance. I was amazed how many times Jesus spoke about judgment. How many times he does. Here's a couple. Matthew 12, 36, 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word they speak for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you will be condemned. This is Jesus speaking. Luke 13 verse 3, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. It's so important. We, we don't preach around subjects like that this very often. Maybe we should a little bit more. But it's so important, church, I ask with you to pause for a moment in your busy lives. How do you view God? What picture have you painted of him? Is it a biblical reflection or one made a little bit in your own likeness? All of us can do it. None of us are immune to it. And then lastly, just as I uh, finish, the other aspect that you get, and we haven't looked at this at all, but the other aspect we get is that God saves the repentant. God saves the repentant. It's only in the last few verses, Amos 9, um, uh, verses 13 through to the end, it's only in the last few paragraphs we see God's grace wonderfully, wonderfully revealed. It is absolutely outstanding. The promise of Israel's restoration, the promise of Israel coming back into the promised land, absolutely wonderful Church, grace is only truly seen when we understand why we need it. If we think we're doing pretty well on our own, grace is wafer thin. But when we understand of our dire need for a saviour and the fact that we cannot earn it ourselves and actually even how... Many times when we're living lives right now, we we, we can mess up and we can get things wrong. Oh, how we know we need the grace of God. We need the mercy of God. And it's as we see that, that our, our hearts overflow in wonder and adoration, that a king, a God so mighty and strong and awesome would do so much for me and for you is absolutely amazing. God in his infinite grace... Steps in and brings mercy in a way for the repentant to be saved. It's not universal. It's not for everyone. It's for those who turn to God and repent. They come with faith-filled repentance say, oh God, I need a saviour. Romans 3, 22 to 24. For there is no distinction. This is in the New Testament. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are made right with God by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The reason Jesus came wasn't to show us a better way to live. It was to save us from our sins. And the fact we were celebrating that he is risen on high shows that it worked. He won. He was victorious. He he did it. The God that we see revealed In the Old Testament, he loves us passionately so that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But as we come before him, we come with reverence. We come carefully knowing that the God that we worship is a consuming fire. He was then, and he is now. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, just say this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I just ask you to stand? Can I invite the band back up, please? I know it's warm. If I could just ask you just to give just the next five minutes of utmost attention. Well done, lads. Good stuff. Off the phone. Stand up. That's good. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Lord, Father, I just want to say thank you for sending your son to die for us. Lord, when we deserve nothing but judgment, you revealed your son to us that we might believe upon him and be saved. Lord, we thank you for grace upon grace upon grace. But right now, we stand here together as a people, and we just want to join with David. Lord, we say, oh God, would you search our hearts? If there's anything in our lives, Lord, that displeases you, that doesn't line up uh, with your agenda, I pray, would you, even now, would you reveal it, Lord God, that we might put things right, that we might repent, that we might turn to you, that we might follow you with fresh vigour, fresh determination, by your spirit, in your grace, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to use a song to respond in worship, and then Paul will take it from there.